right till I believe the first week of October. We're taking a break in Luke after Titus. We'll resume in Luke, and we may go through Luke right on through the new year, um, but we'll see. It's not completely planned out as of this moment. And so, as we begin the Titus, um, introduction on the book of Titus, it is a pastoral epistle. Um, Paul is writing it to Titus. So, that's obvious. Um, And Titus is his child in the faith. Titus was a great man of God that Paul used in many ways to accomplish certain uh, missions. And right now, Paul has left Titus in Crete in order to uh, put things in order and to raise up elders who would continue to preach the word and rebuke false teaching. And so one of the reasons actually we're going to go through this book is because as a staff many months ago, we went through this book. And as I was reading it, um, I don't think I'd ever really just spent just a lot of dedicated time in Titus, just reading it every single day, chapter one every day for a week, chapter two every day for a week, chapter three every day for a week. And as I did, like the message of Titus is amazing. It's an amazing message, and I just began to fall more in love with it. As I began to fall, uh, begin to understand the message more, I, I began to understand that not only do I need the message, but we as a church really need to understand the message of Titus. And so that's uh, one of the primary reasons why we're, we're in this series. We're calling it Who is a Church Member? Because as we go through Titus, we're really going to see the life of the church and who is a church member. How do we act? What do we do? What are we called to do? And so uh, I, I believe Titus, while it's not written with the context of who is a church member, it answers that question in an amazing way. And so um, I pray that you're able to, to continue with us for the five weeks, that you would really understand, what does it mean to be a Christian? Because when I say church member, that's synonymous with a Christian. Never in the Word of God do we see a believer apart from the church. And so as we're saying who's a church member, we're really saying who is a Christian because all believers should be a part of a local body of faith. And so um, one thing, though, pastoral epistles are not just written for pastors. So it's not just me. I need this message greatly. I do. Um, but it is for all of us. And they're an amazing message that really the whole church needs for the glory of God. They reveal to us how the church is to be governed, how it is to function. But they also reveal struggles and difficulties churches face. Mike and I actually just went through Second Timothy, another one of the pastoral epistles. Amazing book on suffering and standing strong in the church. Amazing book there. Um, the pastoral epistles also address what it is like for a church to be located in a secular context and how do we survive in that context? How do we exist? What do we do? They show how discipleship will take place. Titus especially shows us how in the context of being in Crete, which I think is pretty transferable to many ways on how we live here in America, is how are we to be effective in making disciples who make disciples? How do we do the very mission that God has called us to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, just be in the first four verses of Titus today, and they give us a snapshot of Paul's ministry, how he approached the church, what did he do. And really, as as we're in Titus, and what you'll see as we kind of go through the book is Paul is preparing the church for the time um, when it will be no longer led by the apostles such as Paul and and the other um, that are 12 who are with Jesus and commissioned by Jesus, but to be carried on by the elders through the centuries, how will they continue um, 
How will the church continue to function? How will it survive? How will it go forward? What will they do? And so it's an amazing book that is very relevant for us today on how do we exist today? How do we live today? How do we function? And so one of the things we do here is we stand in the reading of God's word. We don't stand for um, silly purposes, um, but we stand because we believe God's word is like no other word. It, it comes from God. It's inspired and inerrant. So we do it. To, to honor God. So I want to invite you to stand as we read verses 1 through 4. This is not a long text. Long text, I always like to qualify it by saying, feel free to sit down throughout it. I think we'll be able to make it through this one. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let me, let me pray. Father, we come to you now. We come to you because of your Son, Jesus Christ. We come to you, God, with your Spirit upon us, in us, that we would have understanding as we look at your Word, knowing that in your Word you reveal to us you. And so, God, I pray that as we open your Word now, that you would give us clear eyes to see you to see what your Son has done for us at the cross and how, God, your Word transforms us that by faith we would live for you. And God, I pray that as we begin this series in Titus, that you would strengthen us as a church, that you would help us better understand how church not only operates but exists in a secular world. How do we make disciples? And God, that we would understand how do we disciple one another and I pray, help us to understand this, that we would grow in our love for you, for one another, and for this world, that you would be glorified. And God, today, as we look at the centrality of your word, God, help us to fall more in love with your word, knowing that in your word, we see you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, may be seated. The outline is, is pretty simple. There's no blanks today. And we're just going to walk through the text a little bit. We're going to start out with, we see the identity of Paul. He starts out very, very quickly in verse 1. We see Paul is a servant of God. Paul lived to please God and do all that God has commanded. He is God's servant. He does not serve God in order to be, to be accepted by God, but because he is accepted by God, he serves God. He's also an apostle of Jesus. The word apostle means to be sent, and in the New Testament, it really means uh, two different things. One, it could mean uh, being sent to go plant a church, like a pioneer church, like Barnabas did. Um, or, second, it can refer to those who are eyewitnesses of Jesus, and whose testimony is the foundation of the church. That, that's how Paul uses it here. As he goes forth, planting churches, encouraging churches, he does so as an apostle, commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ to declare the gospel, which would be the foundation as the church is birthed. And so Paul personally saw Jesus, 
And so he was commissioned by Jesus, and he's an apostle in that way. And what we see is that Paul's identity comes completely from his relationship with God. All that he does is a result of what God has done to him through Jesus Christ. That's how Paul sees himself. He doesn't say, I'm a tent maker. If he was to say that, he would say, I'm a tent maker who, by the grace of God, makes tents to support the church for the spread of the gospel. Everything that Paul does, he sees his identity in relationship to God. Not himself, not to others, but he sees all his activity is informed by who he is in God. He's a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus. And so a question, why is Paul a servant of God sent out by Jesus Christ? Well, first, it's because he's saved by God. He was saved by the grace of God. If you remember, and many of you know, I think it's back in Acts, where Paul is on the Damascus Road. He's going to persecute Christians. He hated Christians. He reviled the church. And it's there that he met Jesus Christ, on the, um, Jesus Christ on the road. He was knocked off his horse. He saw the vision of Jesus by faith. He believed in him, received him by grace. And that's where the transformation took place. That's where he became a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus. His identity changed at this moment. And the same thing is for us. When by faith we believe in Jesus, we are given new identities. We become children of God. We become servants of God. We become missionaries. We are made new. We're given new identities. We become servants. So that's this one reason why Paul is a servant of God and he's sent out. But the next reason is, is the very one that actually Paul gives us in verse 1. And he says, it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. That's an amazing statement that we're going to unpack. It, this helps us move into, we have the identity of Paul, and, and he's a servant, an apostle, and now we have the mission of Paul, and he says, I do everything for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life. Now just think about that statement. I do everything for the sake of the faith of God's elect. His identity, which comes from God vertically, is lived out horizontally in the lives of, un, of other people. God saves us. God saved Paul, saves us, that he would use us to minister to other people. And he saves us. It's for the purpose of using us for good works, which include the ministering to other people, believers and unbelievers. So this is why Paul is an apostle and servant. This is the reason he gives. It's to be a minister to other people. And this isn't the first time that Paul has said this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, listen to how Paul says the same thing. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now here it's very clear. Paul is saying, I endure everything. I endure suffering and pains and afflictions for the sake of the elect. That they may obtain salvation. So the elect he's referring to as unbelievers. So he's talking about, I work with unbelievers constantly, all the time. That they would come to know Christ. That they would have a relationship with him to the eternal glory of God. And so Paul, he's saying, I do everything here in Titus for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So let's unpack what does Paul mean by elect? The doctrine of election is an essential 
doctrine to Christianity. It states that all who come to faith in Jesus Christ are those whom God has chosen before the creation of the world. I'll repeat it. It states that all who come to faith in Jesus Christ are those whom God has chosen before the creation of the world. And we could use a lot of verses and passages to unpack this, um, but I'll just use a few. And if you remember from our series in Ephesians, which is like, seems like forever ago now, that was the first series that we did here, it makes a great deal of sense. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are told that we are all dead apart from God's grace um, We're all dead apart from God's grace in our trespasses and sins, meaning we are spiritually dead. We have no inclination towards God. We do not love God. We do not please God. We do not glorify God. We are spiritually dead. So then how do we come alive? Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So we're still dead. There's been no change in who we are. We are dead in our trespasses. And if you have a... um, you want to familiarize, familiarize with that? There's a cemetery over here. Dead people are in the ground. They are not moving. There is no activity taking place over there. So this is, this is a spiritually identity of all people before coming to know Christ. They are dead. They have no life in them at all. But in Ephesians 2.5, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. So it's by God we've been made alive. By his working through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is what we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now here's the key part. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Paul is saying, Part of our blessings is the fact that God knew us and chose us before he ever created. In very clear terms, Paul says, all who come to faith are those whom God has chosen before he created the world. And so, kind of on a side note, but when the doctrine of election is talked about, controversy seems to to come very quickly. People want to fight about free will, and I mean, just a list of things start getting unpacked that people want to begin fighting for. Um, And those are questions that, that do need to be addressed, But I want to encourage us, when we see clearly taught doctrines, let us see them through the biblical lens that we have in God's Word. Let us ask, how, God, are you asking us to understand this? And by the Spirit, let us seek understanding. Because when we begin to understand the doctrine of election through the biblical lens, we understand it's not something for us to fight about. It's not something for us to shudder from. It's not something for for us to be quiet about. But rather, and, and these are two points I believe are in your, your, your bulletin, and we could have made a list of them, but the doctrine of election reveals the sovereignty and glory of God. I mean, here in Ephesians, Paul's saying, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us in all, um, in all ways in the, in the spiritual blessings, in the heavenly places. And he lists election as one of them. See, God did not send his Son to earth to die on a cross three days later to rise again hoping that man might choose him. But he sent him as the means of saving his bride. That's why he sent his son, as the means of saving his bride. The doctrine of election shows us that God is in absolute control at all times. Election and the sovereignty of God work in perfect harmony with one another. 
So that not only is God sovereign over all things and in control of all things at all times, he's also in control of all people who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. So the doctrine of election not only reveals the sovereignty and glory of God, but it guarantees the success of mission. And that's going to be very prevalent as we move through the book of Titus, especially next week. But some people will say when we talk about the doctrine of election, well, if God's already chosen us, then there's really no point for evangelism. There's no point for missions because, you know, God already chose them. But that's not how Paul saw it. That's not how the apostles saw it. Let me give an example. In Acts 18, Paul's preaching the gospel in Corinth where the Jews begin, when the Jews begin to revile him. And the ministry became very difficult. And so this is what happens to verses, in verses 9 through 11. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. Okay, those are good reasons to keep going. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So what God says to Paul is, I'm going to be with you. No one's going to hurt you. There are people who will be saved by your preaching. So stay and preach. Paul doesn't say, wow, well, you know, if you have people that you know you're going to save, then I'm going to go somewhere else. But rather, the doctrine of election fuels his passion to share the gospel because he knows there's success. I can share the gospel knowing that God will save people. So the doctrine of election, as viewed by the apostles, the disciples, from God's testimony, fuels the mission of the church because it guarantees the success of evangelism. It doesn't mean everyone's going to come, but it guarantees that when the word goes forth, there will be those who are saved. And we don't know who the elect are. They don't have special mark on them. If you're a believer, you don't see special marks in other believers. Um, only God knows. So when Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the faith, uh, the sake of the faith of God's elect, he's saying, I just love everyone and serve everyone. All the unbelievers, knowing that as I do so and as I share the word with them, some will come to know faith. Some will come to know faith. And so as we come back to Titus, let's consider the context of the church that Titus is serving. If you look down at verse 9, um, I think it's verse 9. No, nope, I'm sorry, it's verse 12. I wrote it down wrong. Verse 12, it says, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now that's a quote from Epimenides. He's a philosopher from Crete, and that's how he describes them. Crete is one of the most immoral places in all the earth. They love to lie to one another. You can't trust anything that they say, which makes it hard. Can we actually trust this quote? Um, but... Their moral principles are so dismissed that highway robbery was seen as honorable. So, don't walk on the highways in Crete because it's honorable to be ripped off, apparently. Crete was full of drunk, lying, immoral, lazy, lustful people. They, they completely threw out absolute truth. That sounds familiar to this day and age. They wanted to rely on the government to support them. They wanted to be lazy and not do anything. They wanted to pursue their sexual appetites. That seems slightly relevant to today. Um, there are people who completely rejected all of morality. I mean, their reputation goes forth into all the world as one of the most immoral places. And so, I mean, after all, where do you think the word Cretan comes from? And you've, you've heard that, right? You're a Cretan. It comes from Crete. From these people. 
Isn't that great? 2,000 years later, we still reference them. Be careful what you do, you know? So Cretans perfectly demonstrate what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.1, that apart from Jesus Christ, we're all spiritually dead. They perfectly live out that truth. And so if there's ever a need to believe in the doctrine of elections here in Crete, because these people are so immoral, are so, um, are so immoral in their sins, in their sexuality, in all that they do, they have no desire for God. The only hope is that God's grace will come upon them, which is why there's a church there to begin with. So when Paul says he does all things for the sake of the elect, he's referring primarily to unbelievers who will come to faith by God's grace. And that's what he did here in Crete when he went there. Went there in this immoral place, just preaching the word, knowing that some will come. I just want to ask you, could that statement be true of you? When you look at unbelievers, do you desire to serve them and love them and share the gospel with them, knowing that God may, may save them? Would you say you... You love to do all things for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So as we continue in verse 1, we're going to see that Paul, he doesn't just stop at them coming to know Christ, but that if we keep reading, he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So now they've come to know faith, the salvation, and now their sanctification, knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. So God... Is, or Paul is desiring to see people come to know Christ, grow in the teachings of Christ, that their conduct would be transformed, they would live godly lives as they have great hope of the return of Jesus Christ. That's, that's Paul's mission. That's what, that's what he does. That's how he approaches the ministry. That's how he's communicating the churches to continue to go forward. Paul's mission is to help unbelievers come to faith in Jesus, help them to grow in truth, that they would live godly lives and look forward to spending eternity with Christ. So really the question is at this moment, how? How, Paul, are you going to do this? How are you going to help spiritually dead people come to faith in Jesus? How, Paul, are you going to help people grow in their knowledge of the truth that they would live godly lives? How, Paul, are you going to help people help increase people's hope in eternal life? And above all, how, Paul, are you going to do that in Crete? Where it is completely immoral, dishonest people. How are you going to do that, Paul? And this question is the utmost importance. How will people come to know faith? How will they grow in knowledge? How will their conduct be transformed that they would do good works for the glory of God? How will they have increased hope in the return of Jesus Christ? It's not a question that we just need to know how Paul addressed for his context, but because Paul is setting the stage for how the church is to operate, how it is to continue on in the centuries to come, this is very important for us to understand. Because Paul's mission and how he approached the church is, how, is what our mission is and how we approach the church. So kind of the next section is when we look at the answer is the strategy of Paul and us. This is going to be our strategy too. If we look back at verse 3, he says, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So the answer is through preaching. That's how. So the preaching of God's word. I mean, we'll just ask a few questions. What did God promise before the ages began? He promised eternal life. As we know, the testimony of Scripture is that eternal life only comes 
by faith in Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, um, says eternal life, we cannot think of that apart from Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, John is writing, he says, whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. So when he says in hope of eternal life, it's hope of being with Christ for eternity and hope that Christ is returning and that we'll be with him at all times. So that's what God promised before the ages began. There's going to be a time when my son will come forth, gather the bride, and he will have his bride with him for all of eternity. So what did God do at the proper time? Well, he revealed this eternal life, his son, through his word. And Jesus, when he's on the Emmaus Road with two disciples, remember he says, all of the word of God is about me. Referring to the Old Testament, all the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, the hymns, everything in the Old Testament refers to Jesus Christ. And so then how is this word communicated? It's through preaching. That's what Paul says, through the preaching which, which I, with which I have been entrusted. Preaching is the way that eternal life is revealed. Preaching is the means in which people will come to know Christ. Preaching is the means in which we will grow in godliness and our conduct will be transformed. Preaching is the means in which our hope will grow and stronger in the return of Jesus Christ. The preaching of the word reveals the redemption plan that was set in place before the ages ever began. Like, we can't miss this. When we enter into God's Word, like right now, as we look at God's Word, we're getting a glimpse of what God was doing before He ever created. That's, that's why He writes, before the ages begin. Right now, in God's Word, we're understanding something about God. That before the ages, before He created, He thought about a bride whom He would have with Him forever in all of eternity. He knows us. Before he ever created, we're getting a glimpse into past eternity. And as we see it, as we have this hope of eternal life, we're knowing that by faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved that we would live with him for eternity. So as we come into scriptures, we're getting a picture from everlasting to everlasting. We gain understanding of what happened in the ages before creation and what happened in the infinite ages that will continue on. Namely, that we, the bride of Christ, those who have had their, placed their faith in Jesus and have been saved by grace, will live with God forever. So when we come into Scripture, we're entering into eternity and understanding the mind of God. It's here, in God's Word, we understand past and future eternity. Paul is very powerfully extolling the necessity of preaching the word because it's through the word we're given spiritual eyes. Eyes that, that when we behold Jesus, we see him as our king, as our Lord, as our savior. Eyes that when we are that by God's word through faith that we see ourselves and we go, I'm sinful. And because I'm sinful, I know that I stand underneath the wrath of God and that there is Forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's through the Word that as we continue uh, to read the Word that our eyesight is sharpened and we understand how to see all things. Namely, that our identity in God informs how we live. And that our conduct is transformed in how we live. So that we would do good works, which good works runs all throughout the book of Titus. 
And it's as we come into God's Word that our vision is taken not only from the past and the present, but also it's fixated on the future. This is why Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says, let us set our minds on things above. Let us set our minds on on Christ in heaven. Because He's going to return. And we're going to be with Him for all times. It's through the Word of God we're given spiritual eyes. It's through the Word of God that our eyes are our spiritual eyes are, are strengthened, are sharpened upon Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, you know, on a cold day, which you guys don't have cold days here, just so you know. Like some people ask me, how was winter? I'm like, winter? It's not winter. We came from Michigan. Like, we were happy when it was above single digits. So, you do have a few days under 30 here. A few, not many, but a few. But you know, when you go out and it's under 30 and you breathe, what do you see? You, you see your breath. It's kind of fun to see that. My kids still love that, like breathing all over the place. Um, But when we read the Word of God, it's as if Christ in all of eternity comes to life right before us. That's what happens in the Word of God. As you breathe and you see your breath, as we come into the Word of God, which is really the breath of God. Remember, we saw that back in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, that uh, it reveals Christ to us. And not just a a glimpse, but we see from past eternity to the present that he's right now seated at the right hand of God and that his spirit lives within us all the way to future eternity when he will return and we'll be with him forever. So I hope you see the centrality of the word of God in the local church. Paul is saying it's through the preaching all of this takes place. It's through God's word we come to faith, transformed and live godly lives. And I know when we're here this, we're primarily thinking of preaching and preachers. And it's good, because we're supposed to think that. So if you're wondering, well, or, so is Paul really just talking about mainly the preaching of the word, something like this, or maybe in a, in a small home, uh, a home church? Yes, he is, because in the very next context, he's going to talk about elders and, and, their, and the role they have in the preaching of the church. And so Paul is thinking primarily about the necessity of the proclaimed word within a local body because it is the means, the God-ordained means, in which all of eternity, past, present, and future, is revealed through his Son, Jesus Christ. So preaching is very important. And so I want to also say we have many military in our church. I love that. And there's many active military um, There's going to be a day that you're going to leave us. And that's a sad day, but it's a joyous day because I pray that in your time here that you would grow in your faith, be strengthened in your faith, that as you go to other local bodies, you would help and strengthen those bodies also and be encouraged by them. But you're going to leave one day, very likely. Um, So I want to encourage you, when you look for another church, and this does apply to all of us, not just military. I'm just saying them because sometimes they're a little bit more regular. Um, it's the preaching that sets the tone for everything else within the church. Do not base your, your decision upon a church on the children's ministry, on the men's ministry, on the women's ministry. None of those things are central. Those are great. Those are beneficial. Those are wonderful. I love having those things. We have a few of those things. We don't have many programs here. Nothing is more important than the proclaimed word of God in the church. That sets the tone 
for everything else. So I encourage you, when you look for another church one day, look at all the things that, that are happening within the church, but base the decision primarily off of the preaching. And so I very well know that next week we could have like half the people here. <laughs> We're not going back there. The preaching is central to the church because as Paul says, I went into an area, everything I did was for the sake of the faith of God's elect, so I preached the word that they would come to faith, which birthed the church. I kept preaching the word so that they would grow in godliness, their conduct would be transformed, they would have a secure hope in eternal life. That's what he did. And he's saying, and that's what the church keeps doing. That's what the church is going to keep doing. And while Paul is primarily thinking about preachers, and the preaching in the local church, I don't want us to think that this doesn't apply to us every single day when we open the Word of God. Because if you're like me, and I'm sure that you are, you have somewhere probably between three to ten Bibles at your home, and you probably have Bible apps on your, your, your tablets, your phones, and, and anything else that you have. And we have almost limitless accessibility to the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? If you've ever wondered, is technology good or not? There are many reasons to praise God for technology. The availability of the word of God is amazing today. Paul like, would just be amazed at this. He'd just be speechless. Going, How did that ever take place? So we have an amazing opportunity to have the word of God before us at all times. We have the word of God so we can spend regular time with ourselves, with our families, and, and other things called like gospel communities or small groups that we can study the Word together. It's not just here, one day a week. We have the privilege of studying the Word seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Some of you put, like, verses on your mirrors. That's what my wife did growing up. I think there's still mirrors on her, verses at her, verses on her mirrors at home. That'd be weird the other way around. But you can write them places. You can pull little stick them notes up with verses on them. I'm not going to advocate for, gospel or for, uh, for verses on mugs, though, because I think most of those are just kind of silly. Uh, but we can have them on our mugs and stuff like that. We're surrounded by the Word of God. So let us remember, every time we open the Word of God, we're entering into eternity. Every time you open the Word of God in the morning, you're going in and seeing what God did in past eternity, what He's doing right now, and what He's doing in future eternity. Every time you open the Word of God, you're seeing exactly who God is, how He's revealed Himself to us through Jesus Christ. When you open the Word in the morning, you see that Christ right now is seated at the right hand of God, reigning over all things. When you open the Word of God in the morning, you see the Spirit is in you, empowering you to live and to strengthen you for every moment of the day. When you open the Word of God in the morning, you're coming into all the infinite amount of promises that God has for you, and He says they're all, yes, amen, in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so beautiful. When we open up the Word of God, we see God. And so should we have Bible studies? Yes. Should you be spending regular time? Yes, you should. We have, we have Bible reading plans in the foyer to help that. Um, countless ways to be able to do that. But the Word of God, yes, Paul's primarily thinking about the preached Word. But let us know, the preaching is central because it's here that we grow together in our faith. But it's also at home, when you're with your, by yourself, with your family, or when you meet with another small group of people, that you can spur one another on in the faith. You can sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. 
You can come alongside each other. You can rebuke one another, encourage one another, correct one another. So I want to encourage you. Pray for the preaching in this church, because I need it. Pray for the preaching in all churches. And let us pick up our Bibles and read them daily. Daily. Because when we read them, we see God and all that he's done for us. Do not read to finish. Don't read just to read a whole book at a time. Read to change. Do not read to see yourself. Read to see God. Read that you would better understand God and the gospel he has given you through Jesus. Read that you would better be prepared to tell others the gospel. Read that you would grow in godliness and live a holy life that would show others the love of God. Read that you would become more convinced of the hope of eternal life you have in Jesus. Read that you would fall greater in love with Jesus. Read that you would better understand the sin you struggle with and the promises God has given that you would overcome those sins. Read in anticipation of discussing the word with others. Read so you would spur the church on in God. We need you to read the word of God so you would spur us on in godliness. Do you know that? Like it's not me doing all the spurring. If so, it's just not going to go well. But to all of us coming together under the word, spurring us on into godliness. Read so you'd be more effective instrument in, the, in God's hand for his glory. Read that as you live, you would do all things for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Read that you would see eternity revealed through Jesus Christ all the more. Read to know God and to see God. So as we, as we see, um, we're opening the book of Titus. Who is a church member? A church member loves the word of God. A church member proclaims the word of God. A church member holds the word of God central to everything that they do because it's through the word God has communicated to us who he is and it's through his word then we understand who we are, our identity, which informs everything that we do. So I want to encourage you to read and specifically read through Titus. As we're going to be going five weeks. Read through Titus. Just keep reading. Just read through Titus 1 this whole week. This whole week, just read through Titus 1. Write down questions. We might even be able to do, we used to, we've done at times question answers at the end. We might be able to start doing that again uh, to answer questions that you may have. But let us read, knowing the Spirit is going to transform us. Knowing the Spirit's going to make us more like himself for the glory of God, for the effectiveness of the church, that he would be made known. So let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word in which you have so graciously given to us, which you say is inerrant, infallible, it's perfect, it's faultless. You have preserved your word so that we would know you so that we would be given spiritual eyes, beholding you all the more. And my prayer is that through your word today, we see you even more clearly. That we're falling greater in love with you. That we understand how your grace comes to us through your word and in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as we go through this series, we go through with great anticipation that by your word, you will change us. By your word, you will, you will save us. You will save many who are unbelievers. And you will grow us in your word that we would live godly lives, that we would truly do 
all things for the sake of the faith of your elect. Because God, when you have saved us, you have called us to be missionaries, that we would proclaim your word. Help us to know that. God, may we, because of your word, be changed and transformed and encourage one another. God, I pray that as we're here at these times, as we meet with one another throughout the week, that we would encourage one another, spurring each other on, loving one another, helping each other. God, we thank you for all that you are. Thank you for your love. We thank you. You are king, and you reign over everything. In your name, Jesus, amen.